house or in the apartment. That's because where I live. Yes. And I don't know if I ever told you guys this, but um, I my my little podcast studio is is built around a Amish made coffee table. And so it's it's just this rectangular coffee table, decent size, and I have a boom arm, which is if you ever seen um like podcasts or YouTube channels, mainly YouTube channels or anything with video, I should say. Uh, where you'll see the host pull his mic down from it seems like he's just pulling it from the sky. It's it's really usually next to him and it's clamped on to something. And in this case, mine's clamped on the side of my coffee table. Uh, and I put like a microfiber, uh, micro. I can't even say that word today. Just you know what I mean. Cloth underneath it so it doesn't scratch up the table. Uh, and then um, I have my podcast board, my Rodecaster Pro sitting on the table in a case, and then I open the case and turn, turn it on. And then um, I have a little, another thing that's clamped on the other side of the table. That's where if I want to do any kind of like lives or videos or anything, uh, it can hold my phone. I just put it in there and it clamps on and then my phone just stays steady. And I got a little headphone stand for my Sony headphones. <clears throat> they sit up there. Uh, and then I got a little uh, portable majiggy here that guy uh i use that to to see things if i need to read anything and i got my laptop is always right next to me uh, if i have to do any research but um yeah so we got that and of course i got my phone mr bullet what are you doing hey don't you get on the podcast board you know what since there's no guest at this particular second go ahead do what you gotta do get it out of the way you want to hit a button you want to mute my mic what do you want to do no you're walking away all right all right Turn your ass to me. Yeah, that's what we all want to see is your butthole. That's wonderful. That's delightful. This is a deliciousness this this guy brings to us. But wait, get off the table. I let you get away with murder, don't I? Okay. Anyway, I don't want to screw up a, a very fun episode and really sweet guest just because of my stupidity and because of my awkwardness. Um, this is a good episode. I hope you guys enjoy. Again, the support is always pre- appreciated. My gratitude uh, is is a, is just it it goes out to all of you. I love you all. I do. I really love you all. But let, not now. We're we're getting out of here. We're getting into the guest. Okay. You cannot screw this up. He's climbing all over the table. There you go. That was him getting down. All right, guys. Let's get into the show. Alright guys, we're here again. Um, so I found another site where I started finding some people. I always let people know for those who are podcasters or look for people to interview. And some people are doing papers on others and, you know, things like that. So I found this like matchmaker site that's another podcast site, but unfortunately it cost a lot to, to keep it up. So I just started reaching out to these people on social media. And, and this is, I think, our first guest from that site or maybe the second and uh, I was reading his profile, and he's very fascinating. I was enjoying what I was reading and wanted to have him on. Uh, so you want to introduce yourself, buddy, and tell, you, tell a little about yourself? Sure. I'm known as uh, – I was known for years as a single-name artist called JL. And um, then I found out after I got on the Internet, uh, you know, some uh, – it, it, I found out that what happened was there were all kinds of jails in the world. And I, uh, most of them had to use their last name for a long time in our culture. It just wasn't popular. So I, I could get away with it, but no longer. So now I'm known as JL, the music man. <laughs> gotcha. And how do you spell the first one? J-A-E-L. It's very simple. Gotcha. It's actually my initials, but it, it's also a name from the Bible. And I like the meaning of it. So I thought, okay, I'm going to use that. Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, were you all like, was that something that you were always passionate about and into as far as music goes? Yeah, I think so. I, I, you know, I started in music business. I'm 65 now, just to clear the air. Okay. And I started the music business when I was 14. So I was writing songs. I've written over 3000 songs. I've had a lot of albums out, about 103 records I played on or contributed to or something. So those are that's kind of my credentials, and I rub shoulders with people that you'd know and people that you don't, and 
that I think are maybe better than the ones you do. So, yeah, <laughs> yeah that, that's the case. There's a lot of people. I, I've, I've been talking to my friends about this, how I, and not to go on a like tangent on how some people are terrible and good, but one of the things I, my, you know, when I'm in the truck in my other job and we're, we're driving around and we're getting to our destination, there's a lot of music on where it's just people sampling other music and they're not even really trying. It's the same song, same chorus, just about other than maybe a couple changed words. And another thing that I was really fascinated about is that a lot of these people that are so renowned as artists, let's say like a Beyonce. Well, Beyonce doesn't write, she barely writes any of her music. She's very well, she's a very good vocalist. She's a very good performer and dancer, but she doesn't write anything for the most part. Um, Yeah, I got a story about that. (laughs) Um, One of my early managers um, was the guy who also handled Beyonce. And uh, he did the deal with uh, Sony Music for the band before they, I guess, whatever they were called. Destiny's Child, yeah. Yeah. So um, anyway, he got the first deal through. And he said to me at one point, he said, Jay, you are probably the most talented guy I've ever met. Not not saying that to tone to to the horn, but to point out something he said the problem with you is you know the business side he said i can't take advantage of you like i could take advantage of other people said and somebody who's 80 percent as talented as you is going to get me to sign them in my attention first because i can take 100 percent of what they do he said you i can barely get away with 30 so he's like uh, 100 percent of 80 percent as talented is way better than 30 percent of a very talented person so I just took that to heart. So, yeah, I understand. I get, I get where you're coming from. Yeah, no, it could be a very crooked business, I'm sure. But it, and again, like I said, it's not to take away from her actual gifts, but it, it's when you look at some of these people who are known for, you know, they're considered like icons in music, and it's like, well, what does she do? I mean, yeah, she's a good dancer, but she's not the greatest dancer ever. She's a good vocalist, she's not the greatest vocalist ever, and then she doesn't write. It's like it really, yeah, but she's known. Like there's people when you, you know, they have like these yeah. uh, fan. And she's so that's appeal. Let's let let's be real. That's what you know. What it's it's all about. You know wh- how many units can a person sell? And from the business side of it, that's it. And and she was willing to be used by whoever wanted to use her at that point. Yeah. I consider these people actually not artists, but more like human paintbrushes. Their vision. They have no vision for what they're doing. They only have skills. So they, 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 it's like being a, a photocopier. You know, you can be, you, you can make a photocopier, you can paint a masterpiece. But if you, if you don't have a vision to paint the masterpiece, the photocopier will do. Yeah. Yeah, because there's just there's just one vocalist named Skylar Gray, and she's wrote she's written a lot. She's like a known writer for Rihanna and Beyonce and a bunch of other people, and like a lot of her hits that she writes, like the Love the Way You Lie song, things like that. She wrote all that and but gave it to Rihanna and you know, she turned it into a hit because she's, you know, I mean, cause she's very talented herself, but she's also way more known than her. And one of the problems I have with it is where a lot of these artists, they don't have the feel for it. Like they don't have the passion for it. It's just, it's just a song to them. Whereas the person who wrote it, it's probably their story or, or some, something that happened in their life. And it just seems like people are just putting out music and you don't even really know where it comes from. You think it's like supposedly, you know, from their life, but it's like, no, somebody else wrote that. And I know that, that that's in a contract. Like these, these writers get paid. So it's not like they're stealing from them, but it, it, it I don't know. I kind of, for someone like you who actually does all your music and is, you know, talented at overall, it's gotta be disheartening where, you know, you're trying to make it and you've got these artists who are just so known for everything and reality is they're not even half as talented as you. Well, you know, I, like it, I had to put that to bed years ago because um, here, here's the thing. Like you can do the comparison game, but you're really never doing that. I mean, even, you know, after, for example, three, three years ago when I had my stroke and nobody thought I'd ever get out of bed again and I couldn't talk and I couldn't do anything. And now I'm doing like the greatest musical work I've ever done. Awesome. But But three years ago, you know, the world gave up on me. They said, you know, you're, you're done. And, um, I had to realize this, that, you know, we only, we, we all have our gifts. We all have the things that we do. And I know writers who depend on other artists. I'll, I'll give you a case in point. Back in the day, Carol King wrote a song that, uh, you know, you make me feel like a natural woman. And, and she and Jeff Goffin 
were the were the writing team, and they credited their uh, their the uh, the manager of of um, Jerry Wexler. They gave him a credit on the song because he came up with the title. He he came back and he said, you know, I want you guys to write a song for for Aretha Franklin, right. and here's the title. You know, so that's where that came from, and that's the reason he's on the credit. But the two of them really actually wrote the song. So, but here's the point: they wrote the song. And they wrote it for Aretha. They, it was like, it's kind of a match where Aretha's almost like a third partner there. And they're having to think like Aretha. They have to go and have to be saturate themselves in Motown. They have to get the feel. They have to get everything that they're supposed to be doing. And it's, it's really a, it's a, it's about a partnership. And in some cases, you know, the, the writer and the artists are, are really partners working together instead of being like, oh, yeah, you know, you're going to buy a song from so-and-so. That happens, but it's much more often that I find even in the collaborations I've done, uh, most of the time I'm actually working with the artist really closely um, to create the music they do. Yeah, it's kind of like a, an actor trying to get into a role of maybe like a historic figure and they go back and do research and try to put themselves in that person's shoes. Yeah, so I really see a role for, for a talented singer and a, and a performer, a great performer, to work with you know, a writer. I, I, I see that as valid. I don't see that as being a, you know, but I do appreciate it, you know, when somebody can do it all. Yeah. I was yeah. saying to somebody recently, I said on... Um, on one of my uh, discussion boards in, in for the music business, they were talking about collaboration, like when you write with somebody else. And I said, well, you know, my strength, my greatest strength is I'm a lyricist. But I write an awful lot of music because I've only written, you know, with other people, maybe 400 out of the, out of the 3,000 songs. Most of them are me, music and lyrics. But I said, here's the thing. When you get somebody that you write with that can do it all, they can challenge you in all things. If, if, you, if you are stuck with somebody who's only a lyricist or only an instrumentalist or only this or only that, they only have so many things they can challenge you on. And if you really want the very best for a song, I like to have somebody who can do more things with it. Yeah, multifaceted, multi-talented, yeah. It's got to help. <clears throat> yeah, I mean, that's, that's for sure. I, I, I just... Like I said, I, it's weird because I, I, you know, I'm not like big into like pop music or anything that's going on out there. I mean, I'll, I'll take a listen. I, I have a decent ear for music, but I, when I hear what's going on out in the world, it's like my God. Because I was just I was listening to the radio the other day, and it was just like out of like ten songs, and of course on the radio they play the same twenty songs in rotation, uh, whatever the hits are, and then they br usually bring back one or two hits and they play it at nauseam as well, even though it's like a ten year old song. Um, but yeah, when you listen to them, it's just, it's all sampled other music and it's just, you can tell like it's just pre-written by someone else and it's like, man, like what happened? And I know COVID has really hurt it because there's not a lot of good quality music or at least known quality music that's coming out as much as it used to be. And it's the same thing with uh, movies and TV shows. Uh, well, I think part of that too is the availability of the internet and the lack of gatekeepers. Gatekeepers have both a, a good and a bad effect on the music business. Uh, I think the bad effect is that they limit an awful lot by budgets and by, you know, who's connected to majors, who gets the exposure and all that kind of stuff. That's bad. The good part is that they screen a lot of crap out of the, out of the business. The problem is that you get now with Spotify and, you know, things like that where artists can put up stuff. Um, you know, it was funny because back in the day, you know, when I started, I started in Jesus music, I started in the church and people would come up to me and say, you know, God gave me this song last night, you should hear it. And so I would listen for a couple of bars and I would think, you know, God's a really bad songwriter. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and the reason I say that is because it's not God writing their music for them, but it's the impression that everybody has that what I do is really, really good. And they don't have any outside influence on them to say, you know what, you might want to rethink that or, or rewrite that or do something like that. Yeah. No, you can't have any yes men around. That's how these law artists get lost. They think they're all so talented. And then you realize, like, they had, like, one hit. And you're like, oh, God. Like, they can't make Yeah, well, you know, uh, one hit wonders are wonderful people, too. But they, oh, sure. they're just, oh. like, you, you, get, you get this crazy um, idea that, 
you know, the whole world is waiting with, uh, you know, bated breath for my next release. And that's never true. It's never true. And so somebody is like, you know, if, if you're there, fine. If you're not there, somebody else is filling the gap. So it's, it's just one of those things that every artist wants to be that person that is desired by the whole world and never gets there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think one hit wonders back in the day, one hit wonders though, could like one song could carry a whole album and that, that literally can make you millions. Whereas now it could make you millions, but you could fade away much quicker because there's so many. Albums. I don't think, oh. I don't think actually a one hit what they, I'll give you an example of, of what's going on there. Back in the day when the majors were in control, if you had a publishing uh, control of a song, for example, and you wrote, you wrote something, you published it yourself and you got it cut on a major label. Um, one song would probably, you know, even if it's not a hit, one song would probably pay you enough to live for a year. You could earn back in the day, you'd earn about 30000 for that song on the one publishing thing. But um, today, because of Spotify and all the different ways in which the publishing is divided, that same hit on that same major le- record release will pay you about 30 bucks. You'll be able to get a pizza. Mm. So go from one year's worth of living to, you know, one meal's worth of surviving. And, and that's what you're dealing with in music right now. Yeah. I mean, yeah. You... I mean you... go ahead. No, uh, that, that's, that's pretty much it. It's like, okay. Um, it's not worth it anymore to in the music business to be a musician. So why are you getting more and more crap? Because, the stuff being thrown up there is just people who are looking for that million dollar payday who aren't realistic that it's not even there anymore. Yeah. I mean, it's bad enough to already screw in the artist. I forget what it is. It's like 1500 streams or something like that counts as one, like one purchase or one, like unit as a download or a, you know, like yeah. one album. It's like, how? We're pretty close. Yeah. Unless you're like Eminem or, or someone so big it's not going to happen for you. Like you're not going to sell the units you would want to sell on uh, hard copies. It's like most people don't sell that many. And even the biggest right. artists, a lot of times they sell maybe a hundred thousand. And if you want to go gold, yeah. you got to sell 500,000. If you want to go platinum, it's a million. So you got a yeah. long ways to go. Yeah. Well, I'm in Canada and the numbers are smaller, but so is the population. So sure. Yeah. It's true too. Um, but so what, what, what is, was, was God mainly the biggest inspiration for your music or, or are you telling a lot of your stories in life, like experiences or like, well, here's the thing, but you know, I, I get that question a lot actually. And here's what I would tell people. I would say, you know what? Christians are not, um, you know, one-sided artists. They are, they are, they have lives, they have experiences like everybody else. And there's a misconception. If the idea that if if I were a painter, for example, that the only thing I could paint would, would be like heads of Jesus or something. And so you go to see an exhibition, and after the first couple of paintings, you're like, this guy's pretty limited. So when you when I do my work as a musician, I'm drawing from all aspects of life. I'm not drawing from the religious side, you know, sort of thing. When I started as a Jesus musician. My conclusion was that the most important thing I could do was to help people understand that they can have a relationship with God and that life can be bigger, not smaller than they thought it was. And so my goal is to show that bigger side of life, not the smaller side. So it's not very, I do a lot of non-religious music, yeah. but, um, but that, that's where I started. Anyway, I started back there and um, it was a matter of, trying to help people understand that concept that was motivating my earliest stuff. After 3,000 songs, you know, you would get, you'd start feeling like, you know, this guy can't do anything except preach sermons. And I'm not really that interested in sermons. Most people are. Yeah. Well, if you have a theme too, like if if you do 3,000 songs, but you have 20 songs or whatever, 30 songs about God, it seems like that's the the constant, but reality you have a huge catalog or discography that proves that's not true. Uh, and sometimes it's also what have you done for me lately? So if more of your recent music is about that, then people are going to take to that and say, "Oh, okay, he's he's." Uh, well, here's the thing: like my last album is called "Feeling Used Yet," and it's really about government overreach and the fact that people are losing their freedoms hand over fist. 
artists have always been, you know, don't, don't mess with art. It's, it's free speech. It's, it's my freedom. And I need my freedom to be a functional artist. And we believe that except for now, we now think that, Oh, it's okay that we lose that freedom in order to keep everybody safe. It's kind of like, you know, Patrick Henry back in the founding of the, of America said, you know, um, give me uh, liberty or give me death. And I could, I could just see that today, you know, people would say, well, what he should have said is give me safety or give me my mommy. It's like, that. that's just, that, that's really stupid stuff. It's actually a lyric out of one of my songs, actually. Okay. Give me safety or give me my mommy. It, it's like, uh, that. that is a, that is the, what we have become. And it's like stupid. Yeah, no. Yeah, I mean, it's but it's it's good that, that you become like a, you're a well-rounded artist. Like you you want to talk about very personal things. There's a lot of people don't want to even like share much of their life. It's just stories, other people's stories or vague stories of their life and and, and or exaggerations in their life. But you're it seems like you're delving into topics that are actually important because you're right. There's a lot of things that have been. There's a lot of things. You know, are, yeah, go ahead. It, it's it's really kind of funny because when you know you say that the number of people who actually feel like if they were to do an album, like I just did, they would feel like they would alienate probably half of the country and they'd lose those sales. And it would be something that no record company wants to do. I had a publicist fire me over it. They said, no, we don't do political. If you do political, you're out, you're gone. So I'm like, okay, uh, you know, I've been paying you and what for, you know, you're, 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 you're not in my free speech um, world. So, you know, it's good that we we part company because whatever you're saying doesn't matter anymore. Yeah, well, it's about just bringing a conversation to the table. I think a lot of people—that's the thing with with cancel culture and everything. No one's allowed to have a different take, and then if you, and it doesn't matter how controversial or not. A lot of times, it's just something so, just so basic. I've seen something the other day, like Whoopi Goldberg said something about the Jewish people, and it was completely like off base and was wrong, but like can we just have the conversation? Can someone just enlighten her and let her know why what she said was stupid instead of just <laughs> kind of just putting her in a corner and say, no, you you're suspended for two weeks and you got to sit on time out. You're not allowed to have a, you're not allowed to have a, a an opinion. Um, yeah. I know. That's, it's pretty, you know what though, when you, when you overcome things in your life, like you have your own physical challenges and I have mine, and, right. you know, even today, uh, you know, I don't have the voice I used to have, and I use Studio Magic to get it back, and, and I'm really doing good work, but it doesn't sound like it used to. Yeah. And and I'm like, okay, I have a new limitation I have to work with. You have limitations you have to work with. Everybody's got them, and they're different for everybody. But the point is that if you don't, if you're going to start cutting up this thing saying you're not allowed to be different, that just think about that. That doesn't just stay with ideas that are political. It oh. crosses over. It affects you. It affects me because people start to say, I can put you in a box and I can make you live there. And don't you dare try to get out. Yeah, no, for sure. Uh, have you run into that with like your fan base where maybe you weren't so political or weren't so vocal about certain subject matters? And maybe they'll come out and say, "Oh, he's he's changing for the worst." You know, he's he's losing it. Oh yeah, I had, a, <laughs> I had. Listen, when I when I gave up the, you know the the uh, when I did an album that was that really didn't have much religious content to it. Like I'm a Christian now, all my worldview is going to be fed by that. Uh-huh. But um, the the um, the difficulty is that. Uh, I'm sorry, I just got interrupted by somebody here. So, uh, okay. Anyway, um, I don't know where I was going with that. I was just talking about how some of your your fan base maybe they think you sold out based on because you're you're changing your content and you're being a little more vocal and open minded to what's going on out there. And you were talking about yeah. Let me let me quote you a lyric from a song that I wrote when I was going through that first, you know, uh, getting away from, you know, doing purely religious content. Okay. The lyric goes like this. It says, some say I've wandered and some say I've grown. There's many opinions, but if the truth were known, I follow a leader. I watch every day. So in other words, I'm not really changing my, my worldview or my heart, but I'm changing my expression and I'm growing. I'm not going to stick here where you think I need to be. 
Right. Yeah. But I mean, and that's that, that, that's good. But if you stick to your guns and you stay who you are, it's, it's a good chance that you can at least persuade some people. I remember back in the day, like when Metallica, they like cut their hair and their fan base lost their shit. And then they made the black album, and it was like, oh my god, this is terrible. And then now, in hindsight, like everyone thinks it's probably their best album. And it's like, oh, okay, like because it, 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 you know, I, people just don't like change. And and but, but you know, we're, again, we're in this time where everyone is very, very sensitive, and it, it, you don't want to walk on. You got to walk on eggshells with everybody, it seems. But if to be who you need to be, you just got to be yourself and. Uh, especially as a musician, because too many people are putting out content that other people want to hear. But sometimes you have to bring new conversations to the table to make you think. I think people are just afraid to just think. And, and yeah, if people if people had if if the real artist had ever followed that, there would be no such thing as a Jimi Hendrix. There would be no such thing as a Bob Dylan. There would be no such thing as a even Tom Petty. More recently, like these are things that that you know. If, if people can't challenge things, these people would not even exist. Nobody would even go there. Yeah, for sure. Oh, and, and that's, um, I think the only form of entertainment that seems to kind of challenge it a lot of times are comedians and, and they get crucified all the time for, yeah, you know, it's like you look at what's happened to Monty Python and that, that's really a, you know, a sore spot with me because like John Cleese was, uh, you know, very cheerfully irreverent. And now he's like watching everything he's doing. He's not happy. He's not happy with what's going on. And the rest of Python isn't helping him. He's like the, the last uh, holdout to fighting for the freedom for comedy to be comedy, you know? Yeah. I, I think we're also, I think we also want to erase history too. I mean, even with like the Confederate flag and these things, like regardless of what they stand for, we can't just act like it never happened. We can't just like, I, I agree with you. It's yeah. it sucks and 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 there's but people grew up in times where this was normal and this wasn't normal so on so on, but it's like we just you know there's times where in movies like they take out certain language, uh you know everybody knows about Tom Sawyer and he had a, a friend with the N word and his that was his name his name you know I'm gonna say it his name was Nigger Jim, and it's like oh. Well, well, we're just going to call him Jim now. But it's like that takes away from the time period. I'm not saying it's right. No one should say that word. No one should use it towards another person, especially black. But if you take away from what that was representing, it, it just really sours it and it makes it look like it wasn't that bad. And then we just act like history wasn't that bad. And we can't just yeah, forget it, where we came from. I, I agree. You can't react to things and, and actually evaluate anything if you don't know the truth. And Hiding the truth has never been helpful. No, and that's good for you to stick to your guns like that. Because, like I said, it, it's so easy to just I mean you know they always say you know people just they sell their soul just for for fame and and wealth and all that. And it's a lot of that looks good, but you know how many of these people are actually happy, and how many of these people are actually just you know they really are content with who they are as a person and where the direction of their music is going. It may seem like it because that's what they put out in their their videos. But we don't really know how they really feel, um, and it's not all of them. But in general, I mean, because there are some people that are genuinely talented. You know, someone like Adele comes along; she can sing her ass off. She writes her music. She's just talented. Um, yeah. But doesn't mean she's happy either. We don't know where she's at, but she seems to be doing good. And, and she's another one where she all of a sudden she started losing weight, and all these girls who were bigger girls were like, "Oh my God, we're losing our idol." And she's just like, "Look, I'm just trying to be healthy, guys. Like, can I just can I be healthy?" Is that okay? Yeah. I don't want to die. Yeah. yeah. yeah it's, 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 it's a weird business. Um, but I, I did want to obviously delve into your stroke. Cause that's something that we have in similar, similar cause you going through something really traumatic. Um, where were you at kind of before that? Were you, were you like cognizant of your health? Like, were you, I don't know. Oh yeah. Well, here's the thing. Okay. Like 10 years before I had the actual stroke, I had these little TIAs, which were a little bit alarming. And I, I was concerned. And so I started to study medicine and I thought I was going to go for being a doctor at that point. Can you explain what a like, TIA is? Sorry. A TIA is a transient ischemic attack. And that's like a mini stroke. Okay. It's not really a stroke, but it's, well, it, is, it does it's exactly the same thing, but it's kind of like a warning, you know? Gotcha. It doesn't really do anything to you. Gotcha. Okay. So anyway, I was I was deciding then that, you know, I really wanted to be a doctor. So I went, 
I, I did a whole bunch of stuff. It took the neurologist actually two years to tell me that I had had a TIA. And then he said, oh, you've actually had two of them here. Look at, look at on the brain scan here. This is the dead parts of your brain now. Like, okay, I just needed that. You know, <laughs> you need to be told your brain dead every once in a while. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> I, uh, I, I was studying and I thought, I'm going to learn this, you know. And, and so I was, but at the time when I had the stroke, I was losing weight. I was feeling on top of the world. I was doing really well. And I, I was never really seriously overweight, but I was all in the wrong places and I wasn't healthy particularly, but I wasn't, you know, so I was, I was trying to get healthier. I'm feeling good. And then I laid down in bed one night and I fell while I was laying down. It's like, I've never had that experience in my life. It was like suddenly the whole world turned over and I'm in bed laying down, but I'm literally falling down and I can't understand it. It's in my, yeah, I'm not figuring it out. So I try to get up. And I'm, I'm losing everything. Like it, I, I won't go into the gory details of what happened, but it was like, it was bad. And I suddenly couldn't walk. I couldn't, I couldn't stand up. I couldn't. And I, then I lost my voice. It was like, okay, so something serious is going on. So I end up in the hospital. The doctor doesn't know whether it's a stroke or not. So he delays the stroke treatment until it's too late to use it. So he really creates a problem. He doesn't really diagnose anything for 12 hours. I'm laying in the hospital for 12 hours before they start taking care of me. So I, it's like really bad. I'm, I'm in, uh, my friends have given up on me. Some of them are, you know, they're praying for me and everything, but they're, they really don't think I'm going to make it. So that's what happened. And, um, yeah, for the next month I could scarcely get out. Like I could not get out of bed. They had to move me into a wheelchair for a friend to push me around, give me a little sunshine once in a while. Um, but I had no capacity. They're feeding me through my nose, through a tube. I, I, you know, just you, if you can imagine feeling living, but feeling like you're right at the, right at the edge of death. Oh yeah. No, I've been there once before and it's, 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 I mean, mine happened when I was a child, so I don't remember as much as, as vivid as you do because, but I remember enough and it's, yeah, it's weird how precious you you don't realize how precious life is until you get to that point. Because you, you, I think a lot of times we feel like we're just untouchable, and then something just throws yeah, you for a loop. It 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 is a gift to discover the reality of the fragility of life, because then you realize what's important, what's valuable. You start doing things differently than you than you otherwise would. Yeah. Um, did they say what actually caused your stroke? Well, actually, nobody can actually do that. Okay. That's, um, they, they know what the physical capacities are. It's a, it's a blood clot and there's two kinds of strokes. There's a, it's called a hemorrhagic stroke and a ischemic stroke. And the difference is that one is a blockage in the blood vessel. The other one is a rupture in the blood vessel. And if you have a rupture, your odds of life are very low. You, you, you're not going to probably make it. But if you have a blockage, um, you're going to kill certain aspects of your brain and you're going to create long-term of, you know, health issues and effects. But you're, you're probably going to survive it. So um, I got in there and now, by now, at this point, when I've had the stroke, I'm a full-fledged naturopath. I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm talking about. So when I go in there, I can't communicate anything. So they're just doing whatever they want to. But by the time I got to the place where I could address what they were doing, I started to argue with them about my treatment. And they were like uh, really surprised. But when I kind of showed them what I was talking about, and the MDs are really, you know, um, they, they've taken over the medical world, but they have a lot of problems. And I, I respect their knowledge of a lot of things. They've They've gone to school. They've learned a lot. But there are a lot of things they don't know. And so I was able to communicate enough to show them that I, that I had a different treatment idea in mind. It made sense to all of us on the st- you know, their staff plus me. And so I began a different, I just, right in the hospital, I said, I, I'm not going to get better doing this your way. I will get better doing it mine. And they said, well, let's try it. Let's see. So they were open and. And we had a good relationship, and and uh, mine worked. 
Sure. Yeah, that's awesome. But now did your like the direction of your music change as far as afterwards, you know, now that you have a different appreciation for life? I would say not really, uh, because I always had kind of a um, an understanding of a big picture of life. And so a lot of the stuff, I mean, there are certain things that I would look back on now and I'd say, I probably wouldn't write that song again because it's a little bit trite. Uh, and yet it was kind of like, yeah, I was writing because that's, you know, what was on the radio and it fit and it was fun and, and the band enjoyed playing it and all that stuff. And so uh, there are things I wouldn't change about that because life is, you know, sometimes you just have to party, you know, <laughs> and then yeah, right. other times it's like, you want to be real serious. So. I still kept all of that, I think. But the last album was, you know, the, the post-stroke album that I've had so far. And I'm back in the studio as of tonight to do part two of this. And we called it The Great Reset Chronicles. And um, as the subtitle, we, the first album was Feeling Used Yet. The second one is a, um, a very, very tough Christmas album. Um, the one we're about to start is uh, about... Um, the people that are underserved at Christmas, because everybody wants to talk about happiness and jingle bells and all this kind of stuff. It's like, you realize how many people are in tremendous pain at this time of year. They've either lost loved ones or they've had a, you know, they've, they've had a tragic breakup or they've been abused or they've been, and, and it's all connected to the, the drunkenness around the season or it's about whatever. So I look at that and I think, you know, all these people, they are really being ignored during this thing and everybody's pretending to be happy. And I'm like, I don't want to use this album for that. So I've got this album called, Christmas album called Outside Looking In with two ends, right? Like looking into the end. Mm. But what is interesting about the, the record is that it, it really deals with these people's issues. And it's, it's a tough, tough record to listen to. It's not like it's a thing you're going to put on and go, oh yeah, I feel like a Christmas carol right now. It's like, no, this one is more for the people that are struggling. It's more for the people that become the death metal fans, even though it's not a death metal record, you know, yeah. but it's, uh, these are the, these are the people that say, no, I, I want to face some reality. Yes. I want to be entertained. I want it to sound good and have fun. And so there's a lot of tongue in cheek and poking fun at stuff during the record, but, but it's, it's not, uh, it's not a, the idea is that Christmas is about hope, not happiness. You, if you want happiness, you know, go to the store, go to your favorite bar, go to whatever. And try to find it, but I doubt you're going to. But if you want hope, there is something out there. There's something to live for. And that's what the record's about. Yeah. No, I like what you're doing because there's a lot of musicians get stuck in this hole. Like they have to force down your throat how they feel, whether it's how they vote or, or wherever. And it's just, it's nauseating. It's oh, like, no thanks. But like you, you're using your platform. You're giving your opinions on things and you're also letting them into your life. Uh, getting very personal, but you're also like you're, you're sharing how you feel about things, but I don't think you're forcing it down your th their throat. You're just saying like, hey, this is something to think about. Yeah, I, I really try not to force things down people's throats. <laughs> and, you know, but when you when you're convinced you're right about something, it's really hard to kind of get off the hobby horse once in a while. But music helps you because you can't do it in music. You can, you can only do it, uh, you know, you do it in an argument. It's really hard to do it in, in a song because you're thinking about this and thinking, this song has to, it's going to last longer than the issue. And it's going to last longer than the, than, than you know, if it's any good, it, it's going to do that. So I'm, I'm there. I, I want to do really good music that's relatable to people from all walks of life and all circumstances. And I'm, and, and that's part of it, you know? Well, and as, as you said off, off the mic earlier, or off air, um, you know, when we were talking about race, it's just like, it, it, you're going to be intertwined with other races, other cultures, and you're going to get out in the world and you're going to see other people and, and, and you're going to have different viewpoints than the average person who doesn't leave their town or city. You get to know so many awesome and, well, shitty people too, but you get to, you get to see the world a little clearer than this, just the average person who's sitting on their couch. Yeah, I agree. I also think, you know, I said this to you off, off uh, the the interview, but I, I think it's really important for people to understand that in sports and in music, we rub shoulders with people of other races, but it isn't the fact that we rub shoulders with them. And it's not that we're pushing for equality. I don't want equality with any of these people. What I want is I want people to look up to. I want heroes who are different than me. 
And so when I look at a guy who's a black man who plays bass incredibly well, I think, man, I wish I could be that good. And then I'm not a bigot anymore. If I'm just saying, yeah, he's equal with me, I can be a bigot. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes people fight for these words that they sound good. But it's like, just be a good person and just treat people equally and, and stop worrying about it. Because with the reality, we're not all equal because that's not how we were born. That's right. We, we have equal value as human beings, but we don't have equal talent and we don't have equal capacity and we don't have lots of things we're not never going to be equal about. So I'm not about equality. I'm all about, you know, equal value. Yes. Yeah. Okay. You know, as a human being, I have the same value as another human being. and I don't have any problem with that. It's the idea that when I look at somebody else, somebody in particular, that I should have this comparative standard somehow or other that I have to, either they have to be better than me or they're not worthy of my time. No, I don't believe that. I believe that everybody's valuable. But I believe that if you're looking for equality, you'll never find it in the world. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think sports is another great example because it's like, as a person, I'm, a, I'm an L.A. Rams fan. We won the Super Bowl this past year and I was happy and and I watched the document or the the whole video, and just at the end of it, uh, two of the the major stars on the team that are veterans, one was white, one was black, and they're just hugging each other, saying they love each other. It's not for the camera. It's not because they want people to see. Oh, look, a white and black guy is getting along. Let's just show you how we're really, you know, how we represent our team and all. This. It wasn't anything. It was just genuine, and it was the whole team. They were all hugging and loving each other up, and it was just, it was just, it had nothing to do with bullshit race or any of that it was just they loved each other because they fought together to get to this destination what they they wanted to achieve a championship they got it and they were brothers at the end of the day it, was, it may sound corny but that's how they perceive it they're they're brothers they're interlocked with each teamwork other will do that to you. yeah yeah i totally agree teamwork will do that to you yeah and it has nothing to do with it they don't they don't give a shit about that they shower together they hang out together they 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 bleed together they don't give a shit about the other thing like if you're a dick you're a dick but it's not because you're white or because you're hispanic or whatever they're just like yeah. you're a part of our team you know regardless if you are a starter or not you're getting a damn ring you're with us let's and it's just beautiful and again that you don't have to win a championship to see that but it's just as an example for someone i'm into but you know, and the same thing with music. You're yeah. constantly, you know, rubbing your shoulders, as you said, with other people. And and, you, and there's people who are white who have black inspirations. There's people who are black who have white inspirations. Maybe it's not said all the time. Maybe they don't come out and say, oh, Johnny Cash was, was one of my big inspirations. But they don't need to because you can hear it in the music. Yeah, I agree with you. Yeah. And that's, I think and you're right. Like with music and sports, it's, it's such a thing where we just, it's, it's an unspoken thing that we just go, ah, you know, a race, like, you know, race doesn't really matter here. Yeah. You got your occasional dickhead who'll get drunk. Like that receiver Riley Cooper and he went on like a racist tirade or something. But like in general, like that's just, it's, it's not the norm. And these people just get along. They're around white, like they're, they're around each other, the like different cultures all the time. They're forced to be, they're in locker rooms, they're on the field. And, and with, with music, you're constantly going to other concerts where you have to perform behind these people or next to them. And there's collaboration. Well, you don't have to respect everybody you work with either. No. I mean, yeah. the reality is, but you do get to evaluate them in a different way. And I, and I think music and sports are, are kind of illustrations of that, but they're certainly not the only, you know, um, place where that can happen. And I just, I feel like, yeah, it, it just needs to be amplified. I think in other, in other arenas, it really has helped us. I think musically, like I, I, I've got dear brothers that are just, you know, totally different race, right? some Asians, some uh, black, some Hispanic, you know, I, I've got everybody on my records for years and years of played with people from all different cultures and things. It's like they all bring something very cool to the table. They're not all cool people. Some people I would just say, I don't want to hang out with them. I mean, I, I use them on my record. They were great players, but they also did this. And I'm just not that, I, that that's just not me, you know. Yeah, and that when you bump in with these guys, you're in the same business as them, so they know the things that you're going through, as you know what they're going through, and you, and you know they know the tribe and tribulations of, of the business and just making a record, and so you have that respect for each other. And it, yeah. yeah, so it's, it, what it is is like even if there's no respect, you know that the reason for no respect is not race. It's it's like it, it's 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 actually character. It's what you are inside that I don't like. 
and therefore I'm not going to hang out with you. But if I, you know, if you, I'll give you a shot and you want another shot at it, you want to show me something you're doing that's really good, great, let's do it. I'm all for you. I'm, I'm going to pull for you that you become a better person as you live your life. That's basically it. For sure, yeah. That, that's, and I think that's something that's lost too nowadays where it's like sometimes people of a different race or culture, gender, whatever, could not like each other and it has nothing to do with the reason that the media wants to put it in. They want to, like to put right. it in a neat little bow. And it's like, well, it's because they're that. Oh, it clearly is because they're racist. But it's like sometimes you just don't like somebody because they're a dick. But <laughs> that's well said. Yeah, I agree. With you know, that. like you, you, you can't just dislike somebody because they're a dick or because they make bad choices in life or they're a bad, you know, they're abusive to their animal or something. Like you, you get, you gotta, you gotta dislike them for a much deeper seated reason. It's because you hate the way they look. And it's yeah. it's not always that. And I think that's why that whole Martin Luther King that you know judge a character by the content of their character, not by the color of their skin. It's perfect because there's, you don't have to like who gives a shit about color. And as a person who's visually impaired, I've always wondered the theory of like I wonder if we were all blind for a year and we forgot what we look like, how much racism would be. I'm, I'm sure we would judge each other based on like vocal inflections or something because we're human. And we can't help ourselves. But, I mean, racism would definitely have to go because how can you judge someone based on their color when you can't see them? <laughs> that's, that's a good point. Yeah, I, I agree with that. It's interesting because right now, you know, with my stroke, I lost vision in one of my eyes. Okay. And um, so I, I have a visual impairment, but my other eye is, like, working perfectly. So right. I'm really grateful yeah. for that. I was just talking to my daughter about that uh, this morning. And, you know, they were, we were talking about, you know, what what's going on. She's trying to help me treat. I have to daily treat the eye that's bad. So I'm uh, saying, well, you know, is anything improving? It's just, it's just still looking bad. And I'm like, yeah, I, I think I'm going to get better. But I, the doctor told me last week, I need a, you know, I gotta, I gotta get it. The front of my eye replaced, basically the cornea, the iris, the, the where the cataracts are, all that stuff. It's all got to go in order for me to get my vision back. So I'm like, okay. Um, he says, you, because of your strength of your good eye, you can probably put this off for a year, but that's your future is, a, is, is eye surgery. And I'm like, all right, that's another thing. It's just one thing that I have to deal with. Doesn't, it doesn't change anything else, nothing. It's not about, you know, whether I can see somebody's color or I can't see somebody's color. You, you are going to have to deal with that person on the inside at some point. You know, it's like that's, that's the reality of it. Yeah. Well, I adopted this whole little thing where I say, like, a lot of times the people that are the most blind are the people who actually have full sight because they, they don't, yeah. because, you know, when it comes to voting, they vote based on whatever reason, uh, blind reason. They don't, even though there's certain things right in front of them, they just can't see it. Whereas a lot of us who are visually impaired or blind, a lot of stuff is very obvious and we, we just pick up on it right away. It's like, okay, cool. Like, yeah, I see that. Like, it's right there. And it's like, why can't well, I'm sure glad you noticed that. <laughs> a lot of people seem to have missed it in this last election cycle. Oh, oh yeah, and yeah, all of them. But yeah, but I will say, as someone who has worse vision than you, like the way you're going about it is the right way. Because as a person, my my left eye is all colors and motion, and my right eye is is okay, but I can't drive and 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 so on. But I don't let it stop me. But when I tell you, when I have good eye days, and my good eye days are nowhere near as good as your good eye days. I appreciate every damn second of it because it's it 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 drives me, keeps me going, and, and I'm trying to get a surgery, a major surgery done in Kentucky. That's where the the best eye doctor in the world is, and you know maybe it'll make some change, maybe it won't, but it's, it's not going to stop me either way. Um, and the fact that you have one eye with basically perfect vision, like just hold on to that as much as you can because it's yeah, I'm 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 all I'm all for that. I, I like I said, it's like I'm I'm grateful for the gifts I have. And I can't really claim any credit for it. It's like, you know, I, the, I could have lost them both. There's, and what would that do? It would just mean, I don't know what it would do. It would, it would be, uh, but I really, I, I totally, having had one bad, I, I totally understand where you're coming from. Amplify, you know, it's like, I, I see that you're, what you're going through is far worse than what I'm going through, but, uh, but then you can walk, you know, you know, and sometimes I can't. I was going to ask you what what is your, that was my next question what is your mobility like these days Well I I um I I have gone from from zero to you know uh probably 90%. Um I have very bad balance. 
I, I don't, I trip over things and if I, I do a lot of falling, but I, but I have a, uh, a fairly good ability to move around. I'll tell you what really hurt was when I wanted to go back on stage after the, uh, after the stroke and I felt like my voice had recovered enough to at least put on a good show. I found that I couldn't stand on the stage because the minute they turned the lights on, I fell over. Yeah, I, it, it's like everything is dependent on light. If you change it rapidly, uh, I'm I'm out of the game really fast. Yeah, no, that's, I, I think like you're and, su- you're such a great example. That's why I think maybe it's great that I do audio because it's like you wouldn't even know that you can't walk sometimes because you're so positive and and you're just appreciative of what you do have. Um, because I think people, some people who are closed minded, they tend to think someone is supposed to act a certain way, look a certain way. I, I say at nauseum that a lot of people say, well, you don't look blind. It's because one, I'm not totally blind, but two, I don't have a dog or cane or anything of that matter. And it's like, well, you, what do you, but you carry yourself very well. You don't act like a blind person. It's like, you know? and so I loved, I love that you're just you and, and you, you stuck to your, like I said, you stuck to your guns. You're the same person and yeah, you've evolved. There's some things I'm sure you have had to adjust and change because of having a stroke and, and losing some of your sight and all that. But I mean, you know, you just talk to you and it's just like, I'm sure there's probably a deep down, there's a little part that bothers you when you struggle to walk sometimes, but you still carry yourself the same way. You're still the strong person. If anything, you've probably gotten much stronger because you've had to adapt and change and alter how you live. So I, I don't know. Kudos to you. Yeah, it's, it's um it's a fun thing. I was watching somebody staggering through a parking lot at a church the other day, and um, it was kind of one of those weird moments where I you know I turned to the person I was with and I said, you know, do I look like that? <laughs> you know, and they said, I actually know you actually walk, and very few people would actually know your know your struggles because every every time I put a foot in front of another, it's like, is it even in the right spot? It's it's like that that is the degree that the difficulty is for me to walk. But I, I'm fighting every single day. And I figure that every time I fight to make that step look normal and to make it look like I'm just totally put together. Every time I do that, I'm in therapy. I'm, I'm actually improving myself. So I don't worry about things. I just, I look at them as opportunities to practice. You know, I, I have a grandson that's like really small and, He's just learning to walk, just taking the first steps. I said, you, you and, and grandpa will learn together. <laughs> we'll learn to walk. <laughs> <laughs> That's cute. So, that's lots of fun. That is adorable. Um, and since you're kind of up to date, what, what's going on in the world and everything, do you do any music? Cause I, this is something I advocate and I talk about a lot. Do you have any music for, you know, subject matters as like mental health? Actually I do. I, you know, I, I, I don't know, like I can't even, all my life, I've been pointing at things that have been issues with people's, you know, grasping the world, grasping the vision of what the world means, how it relates to them, and how they relate to it. And so, when you're dealing with mental health, I've had issues with, you know, there were there were there there have been bouts of serious depression, bouts of serious uh, times of challenges, but having uh, you know, kind of a foundation. Having something to fall back on has always served me well. But I've also been a, a, an observer of the world around me. So I've had friends that have committed suicide. I've had people who said, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm. For example, one guy was was feeling bad. He was locked into a gay lifestyle. He didn't want to be, and he said, I, I, I don't think I can get out. And eventually, he took his life because he felt like he was so stuck. And, you know, there's a lot of people in the Christian world that would look at him and go, well, that's, you know, God's judgment and all that kind of stuff. And I'm like, no, no, don't, don't do that. Don't go there. That's not, this is a struggle that, that he was dealing with. And to try to put it on all gay people or all this or all that is like to totally diminish the fact that this person is a person with struggles. And mental health to me is like that. You, you can't categorize it. You can't box it in. No. I've had, you know, but in dealing with it, when I've written about it, I've written from the standpoint of who is the person going through this stuff? Who is the real person? Not, not what is the issue, but what is the person or who is the person? 
And it's been about me putting myself in their shoes and walking that pathway and saying, this is what I feel you feel. How right am I? And then I go back to those people and often I'm like, yeah, you, you really nailed it. So I, I, I have always addressed those issues, yes. Oh, good. Yeah, that's great. I figured you did. I just wanted to ask because, yeah, you're right because there's a lot of people we tend to we tend to define people based on one or two incidences in their life. We don't, we don't really, yeah. we don't really get to know them. We don't know anything about them. And if like the last thing we see of, of them or learn about them is they killed themselves. It's like, well, then they just must've been a damaged person and, and you know, whatever. And they were just broken. And it's like, yeah, but how do you get there? You don't just, you're not born that way. How do you get to this right. point? And, and it's, uh, yeah, that's why I talk about it so much mental health. Cause one, it impacts me on a daily basis. But two, you know, there's so many people like that who just don't make it, and we just write them off because like, ah, well, they, they were they they were broken. And it's like, no, man, something happened, and and no one helped. And yeah, well, and it's not. Here's the other part of that. You know, I was, and and this is a story out of my real life. When I was a young guy, I was driving um, a truck for my father's business, and he was on a deadline one day, and he had a really really tight deadline, and it was like, okay. Um, I'm, 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 I know I've got so many minutes to get to this, this shipping place to, to, to send the shipment out. And I'm driving over the bridge between Canada and the United States and I'm, 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 I'm driving and it's not really registering to me at the beginning, but I see this car ahead of me with these four way lights on. And I saw this guy and he seems to be climbing on the railing of the, of the bridge. And I'm thinking, uh, do I stop and check this out or do, what do I do? And I'm thinking, I'm really, really late. I'm going to go. So I, I drove past him. And in my rear view mirror, I saw him jump to his death. Mm. That was a, that was a very big moment in my life. And for a long time, I couldn't forgive myself for not stopping. But I have to realize this, that when you're dealing with people and their issues, that you are, you're responsible for what you do, but you're not responsible for what they do. Yeah. And there's a point where you just have to let go and say, okay, you know what? I might've made a difference. I might've not made a difference. Even if I'd stopped, I might've lost the shipment, you know, deadline. And I might've also, because when I got to the other side, I said, I, I don't, I can't quite wrap my mind around what I just saw, but there was a guy on the bridge who just jumped off. And, and he, you know, the guy at the, at the, uh, that was taking my money to get off the bridge. I don't know that he even thought about it. it was like, yeah, right. But it, it's like, th those are one of those defining moments in your life where you realize something's got to change about me. And in the end, it's like, I might or might not have made a difference in that guy's life, but I know I made a difference in mine. From here on out, this is how I'm going to respond to those kinds of things. Yeah, take life experiences and adapt and, you know, don't make the same mistakes. It's, yeah. You know, there's people that come into your life that maybe they're there for a month or two, but you, you get something from them. Take the positives from it and delete the negatives. You know, there's, you know, like I always say, you got to break the chain in your family, like the bad parts of your family. But there's still some good things there. Keep that. Keep the good morals or whatever they, they provide for you. But there's some things that maybe maybe they're a little racist or, or something, a little close-minded in certain issues. Well, get, get rid of that and just, you know, and involve and create your own lane. Um, well, yeah, that's, it's, it's an important thing to do. I'm, I'm just, you know, I, you, you learn things and you learn that there are things you can do things about things. You can't do things about and like, accept the things you can't change, change the things you can and move on. Sure. Um, so wrapping up here. So wh where can people find your music? Um, right now I would go to jail. That's J A E L dot bandcamp.com and then put slash album and then another slash and then hyphenate the title of the record feeling hyphen used yet all like one word. And if you'll do that, you'll hear my late, latest album for free. If you want to download it, you can. And if you want to send me some a donation for what we're doing and toward the next record, you can do that too. Uh, but it's not required. You can put a zero in there and, and get it for free. Because the way I look at it, music to me is a gift. 
products, you know, if I was sending you a vinyl or CD or something, I'd have to charge you for it because it cost me something. Right. But the music itself, uh, you know, have it with my blessing. And I hope you listen to lots more and find a lot more of my stuff. Yeah, I'm actually going to check it out as soon as we get done here. Um, I want to obviously support you. Uh, but I, I really appreciate you coming on, man. I really do. You're a good, co- you're a good hang, good conversation. Thanks. Appreciate it, brother. Yeah, anytime. Um, do you have any? I mean, is that is that like a site that you want people to go at, or do you have a, your own personal website or anything else you want to? Oh, yeah. You know what? I have a lot of personal websites, and recently I switched my internet provider, and all of my sites right now are down, so you can't find me anywhere else. Almost, you can find me on Drupal which is another kind of a music discussion platform for musicians to each other. It mostly it exists to find collaborators and other, other people. But if you go there, I think you have to sign up for that, but it's free. And if you do, you can find my stuff under JL music man. Uh, it's, it's there or JL the music man. Probably. I, I often tell people, you know, you, you know what uh, John the Baptist and Winnie the Pooh have in common with me. We all have the same middle name. Ah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I got you. <laughs> yeah. So there you go. That's adorable. Um, uh, but yeah, but if you do, and we'll keep in touch, I hope we can be friends and just, you know, if you, you need anything, I think you said you want to do some sort of write-up, whatever, anything you need, I'll support you. Um, yeah, yeah. Send me stuff on you because I, I'm, I often feature, you know, uh, people that are you know on my blog which is the blog is is a facebook group it's called the restoration zone you can go check that out too uh i certainly am i wear my my faith on my sleeve on that there will be days in which the 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 post is is largely you know christian information other times it's just different people that have struggled that have come through things and and it's all over the map they're all different faiths all different ideas so that's their restoration zone. It's for people who want to be overcomers and not victims. Perfect. Yeah. So we'll, after this, we'll keep in touch and I'll, whatever information you need, I'll, I'll provide. Um, and, uh, yeah, I just appreciate your time. And again, whenever this, it'll be a little while till this episode comes out. So when it does, if you're up, if your websites are up by then, then I'll put them in the link description. Okay. Yeah. There probably will be. But here's, you know, here's the thing, too. The more you can send me, the more I can promote you on my stuff, too, and tell people that this blog show is coming. Sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Like I said, we'll, we'll definitely keep in touch. I'm not going to not disappear. I mean, I just I wanted to get this episode in. But after that, everything else is just friendly. So it's all good. All right, brother. Thank you again. I appreciate your time. Thanks, Tim. Good to meet you. Same here, man. We'll talk to you later. Yeah. Bye. Brother. Thank you. Oh, what a fun episode. That was, I, I really enjoyed him. Man, that was a good guy. Um, it's always nice to talk about music and, and just other avenues. It's, it's nice when people have other experiences and things they're delving into. I'm definitely going to check out his music because I, I bet he is very talented. Um, he has like a very, not super rugged, but he there's, there's something there to his voice that I can tell there's probably some, some music gifts. Uh, and I'm always looking for new artists because music, ah, music sucks nowadays. And I'd love to find these hidden gems that are just talented. Uh, oh, and before I get out of here, my last thing. So that remember last week, uh, which is hilarious because this is just a, is it a day later? Yes, a day later, really. But just we'll pretend this last week uh, there was a package that came to my door and I did not know what it was. and I didn't think it was for me. It's good news. It's actually the genetic testing kit uh, from Cincinnati. Actually, it's from Kentucky, but the Cincinnati Eye Institute. And uh, so me and my mom are going to be able to do our test, uh, test our blood and blood type and all that. So actually, that's what it was. I had no idea what it was because I didn't even think it was coming because they didn't get back to me. So that's the update of that. That's what that package was. Um, I thought about just throwing it in there at the end, but it's like, nah, I'll just give it to them next week. Keep you guys waiting. You know, it's like a, you know, like when Netflix episode comes in and, uh, well, actually, no, it'd be like a, like how they're doing with some of these shows where there's like a, a part one of the season and then there's a part two. Like a month later you, or a couple months later, you get part two. I'm, getting, I'm giving you guys a week week two or week next week. I'm sorry. I'm sleepy. I'm hungry. I got to go eat. Bullet was here most of the most of the time, but he had to he had to get out of here. He had a skedaddle. Um, but yeah, I'm on to go get some food, go to the grocery store. 
I hope you all have a good week. And uh, I'll see you guys next week. Bye, guys. Thank you.